Please turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Thank you for those tonight that uh, were patient as we uh, kind of followed after my desires a little bit. I, boy, I like music and I like singing. And I didn't even know I was going to be in the ensemble when I asked them to sing. But it was fun. First Kings chapter. I want to thank uh, Daniel and Bailey for helping us out, and Daniel's filling in. Of course, Lori's with her mom a lot, and sitting with her in church, and taking care of her, and really appreciate Daniel filling in. And then Mrs. Broughton has turned over to Bailey a little bit, and, and she was at the college last month, but she's come back and still having Bailey serve, and appreciate that, Mrs. Broughton, and letting the young, because you've done it for a long, long time, and uh, that's her organ. That's the Jean Broughton Memorial Organ right there, and it's, it's not even gone yet, but it's already. It's hers, and uh, we appreciate you letting Bailey serve like that, and we appreciate, Bailey, you serving like that. I thank you for these young men, and, and that's exactly what I was talking about this morning. We need our young people to get involved, and we know that we won't have Daniel for, forever. He's going to have to go back to the city one of these days and, and work, and, and, uh, but we praise the Lord while he's home that, that he's serving, and Bailey, again, thank you, and we'll keep you around if you want. You don't have to go anywhere. I hope that's the case. I'm tired of losing our young people. And we need them, and we need them here in the service of the Lord. First Kings chapter 19 tonight, and I told you this morning that I felt like uh, burdens to preach this morning about the call of the Lord and how he is sending forth laborers and how we must be sensitive to that call. But I want to speak tonight uh, on a similar topic from a different angle, from a different perspective. And First Kings chapter 19, the Bible says, if you look down Near the end of the chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 19, the Bible says, So he departed thence, speaking of Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he summoned him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for... Uh, the praises that have been sung tonight, and we pray, Lord, that it would be honoring unto Thee. Father, we pray, Lord, that You would help us now to turn our attention to the Word of God and that it might speak to our hearts. Lord, we desperately need Your Holy Spirit to minister to us and speak to us. And Father, we do pray, Lord, that the refiner's fire would touch our hearts tonight and help us, Lord, to be made more like Jesus Christ. But Lord, this burden that You've placed upon my heart, I pray that You would communicate it clearly. Lord, so often I stumble with my words and get in the way, but I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would speak to hearts, that you communicate the message of the Scripture and help us to understand how important it is to influence that next generation. So speak to us, help us, we pray. And Lord, I surrender to thee and ask for your filling. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we come to an important story in the history of Israel. One chapter earlier, we read about... Uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel, and he is facing off against the prophets of Baal, and he's 
He's defeating the prophets of the grove. And you'll remember that great showdown on Mount Carmel, how they poured the water over the altar many times and Elijah simply prayed and called down the fire of God. Upon the completion of that great feat and that great miracle from God, he slew all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves. We would think that's a great victory. But the Bible says it did not come without consequences. Ahab said that he would do greater to Elijah than he had done to the prophets, meaning by this time tomorrow he'll be dead. Ahab feared for his life. And so he went into the wilderness of Beersheba and he fled there. And the Bible says he laid upon, underneath a juniper tree and basically he felt sorry for himself. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19, I believe it's around verse 8, that as he laid under that juniper tree, he despaired even of his life. And he said, Lord, why do, it is enough. I've had it. Just let me die in my sleep. I've, I've never really quite understood that. We're fleeing for our life and yet asking to die. I, I can't figure out the, the reasoning behind that. But understand when we are in fear, we are not of a sound mind. So Elijah asked God to take him. Instead, God would take him up to a mountaintop. And on that mountaintop, he would blow with a great wind, so great that the rocks would begin to tumble, and yet God was not in the wind. He'd send a great fire, and it would consume much of that valley below, and yet God was not in the fire. And then he would send an earthquake, and it would split that mountain, and yet God was not in the mountain. But the Bible says, then he sent a still, small voice, and from which Elijah covered his face and retreated into the cave for the fear of the glory of God. And the lesson was clear. Elijah, just because you don't see the earthquake or the fire or the great wind, you need to know that I am still working behind the scenes. And sometimes it's just a still small voice and there's, yet there's great power in it and you just need to trust that I, I've got your back and that I've got things under control and that I'm working all things together for good and you just need to learn to trust me. The Bible says that Elijah came forth out of that encounter from the wilderness of Beersheba and he found Elisha plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. Here's something that is interesting. Though God would say to Elijah that he is not through with him yet, it did provoke God to say, I need to get somebody else ready. I need to prepare the next generation God knew that Elijah was tired. He was discouraged. Elijah was often a man, if we read the scriptures, we find he was often a man given to depression. As he stood on that mountain, he said, I, only I remain. And yet the Bible says there were 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. He wasn't all alone, but that's what depression makes us feel, that we are all alone. And so Elijah would cry the blues from time to time, and God knew he was tired, he was battle-worn, he was discouraged, and even despaired of life. And it was time to prepare somebody that could take his place. Elijah came alongside Elisha. 
And the Bible says in verse 20, or sorry, verse 19, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th and Elijah passed by him. And look what it says, and cast his mantle upon him. It was a sign of anointing. It was a symbolic choosing. Elisha knew immediately what it meant. God had called him and he was to follow for in verse 20. It says, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. Then will I follow thee. Elisha never had to be told what it meant. He knew that when the prophet's mantle was laid upon his shoulder and cast upon him, that God had called him, that God had set him apart for a great job. And there was no question. Elijah never said a word. And yet Elisha knew that God had put his finger upon him. I want to look at two things tonight that I, I believe that, that biblically would help us understand what we as adults are supposed to be doing with the next generation. Making that investment in their lives so that they can become the next Sunday school teachers and deacons and even pastors of this church. I'm thankful that, that our staff are all people that were saved and baptized at Bethel Baptist Church, except, of course, for Cody, who was saved and baptized in our ministry in Hamilton. I'm thankful for that. I think that's a great heritage that 80% of our staff are from right here at Bethel. That's a blessing. But who's going to take their places? Who's going to step in and fill their shoes? A couple years ago, when Brother Dorkson passed away, I preached the message on the mantle. But I preached the message about Elisha. If he was present at Elijah's death and he would see the mantle fall and see Elijah taken up from him, that, that he would receive the double portion of God's blessing. And, and you might remember I illustrated by I had a mantle or I had a, a, something that I took from Lori's uh, collection and I, and I threw it out on the floor and I said, who's going to pick it up? Who's going to fill those shoes? Who's going to be in the choir for the next 60 years? And who's going to sing praises to our God? And who's going to be a deacon? And who's going to work in Sunday school? Who's going to pick up the mantle? But tonight I want to look at the other side of that. Who here is willing to cast their mantle? Who is willing tonight to take what God has given you and pass it on to another? It's a biblical principle, and I want you to look, first of all, tonight at an Old Testament prophet, and then we'll look at a New Testament principle. As we think about this Old Testament prophet, Elijah, Elijah I want you to notice, first of all, Elijah's casting. How, how did Elijah know who to choose? And I, and I understand that's a, that's a difficult question. You say, I, I don't know if I want to invest in somebody and invest in somebody and then they go off into the world or they don't turn out or they don't serve the Lord. Friend, that is not our concern. Our concern is the investing. That we are giving and we are pouring our hearts and our lives into the next generation. But you say, how did Elijah know? Well, I'll show you how Elijah know. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19 and back up a few verses to verse 14. And, I, and he said, Elijah, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, 
thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. Again, there's that despair. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return unto the way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abemeloma, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. You say, how did Elijah know who to choose as his successor? I would say this, he knew because God told him. God very plainly said to him as he was leaving Beersheba, go and anoint King Jehu and go and anoint this king over here and then go and find Elisha and anoint him to be the prophet in thy room or to take thy place, one that would stay with you and you can mentor and bring along. That's what it means to be in his room. I want to say this, it's a spiritual decision. So it must be led by the Spirit. This was not something that he took lightly. And you say, well, there's our answer. Then I'm not to throw my mantle upon anybody. I need to, what do you need to do? You need to pray. You need to seek God about it. Let me ask you, understand this. The church is not a business. We have business dealings, but we are not a business. We are a body. We, we are a body under the headship of Christ. And so for, for us to say, well, here, here's what we do in a, in a business. When, when you are finished with your job, you go to the boss and say, listen, I'm, I'm done and I'm giving you my two weeks notice. I hope that you have the integrity to do that. Give the proper notice that's required, whether you have a contract that says longer or whatever. But by law, I hope you have the integrity to give proper notice to your boss. But then it is his job to find your replacement. But we are not a business. I think it's important and it behooves us that each and every one of us say, I'm going to pray right now for who will come behind me. I have poured my heart and my life into this Sunday school class. This bus ministry has been my, the heartbeat for so long. And Gene, this organ has been something you've done for 70 years almost. I don't think she handed it over to Bailey lightly. I think she understood how important that ministry is. But who are you praying for? This is not a business where we just hand it off. God, I'm going to give you two weeks notice that I'm done. Who are we begging and pleading with God for to take that place? To fill those shoes, to replace the ones that can no longer serve, the ones that are moving off the scene as God takes them home. It's a spiritual decision, so we must pray and beg and seek God. Sometimes we judge things by appearance. You know, King David was not chosen for his brain or for his brawn. He was chosen because he was a man after God's own heart. He had a heart for God. Sometimes we look at the brightest and the best. I want somebody that has a heart for God. Somebody wants to serve him. You know, years ago we had a young man working with us in Stony Creek. And, and I, I used to tease him, you know. I'd say, man, I, 
you're dumb as a stump. I'd just tell him. He wasn't, but I'd tease him. But he had a heart for God. And sometimes he'd make mistakes, and I'd tease him. And he'd call me things. I call, we just had a good relationship. I'd say, are you dummy? He said, why'd you do that? Because Marvin always did that to me. Marvin fired me every week, every week. I just, he just kept paying me, so I kept coming back. I said, come on, Dustin. Come on, yeah. But I'll tell you what, he was always faithful. He never missed anything. I, I don't know what his grades were. He said, did you check his transcripts? No, I didn't know. I didn't know if he was a straight-A student or if he was just barely getting by. All I cared is he always showed up. And he loved the kids. And he preached to them Jesus. Our, our, our ways are not God's ways. And our standards aren't always God's standards. David wasn't chosen. Da Listen, David wasn't even called to the anointing party. Dad didn't even think enough of him to invite him. They started with Eliab, the oldest, and they worked their way down. Surely this is the anointed one. No, no, no. There must be another. Well, I got a boy out keeping the sheep. That's him. A man after God's heart. Several years ago, in 2006, my dad went home to be with the Lord. And I remember getting the call that night from my mom and coming to the hospital. And over the next few days, we would be by, by dad's bedside. And, and until that time, he went to be with the Lord. Pastor Bowman was in Israel. And there was a young man by the name of Jason Eagles that just came alongside our family. And I remember saying to my wife, that young man's going to be a good pastor one day. And a couple years later, when God began to stir our hearts about a change, the very first name that popped in my heart when I was praying was Jason Eagles. It didn't take long. I knew right away. I just, we went to the Lord. I, I, refused, I refused to leave our church without a pastor. And I know there are circumstances arise where a pastor has to leave, and I understand that. You never see in the Bible that a church votes for a pastor. And I'm meddling now, aren't I, with your constitution? And our, my, I get it. But you never see it in the Bible, ever. Think about it this way. Sheep don't pick their shepherd. I'm just saying. And so I refused. I said, I'm not leaving. Guys, I know you get a vote, and you get a vote, but I want to help you find a pastor. We begin to pray about it, and I, I didn't pray five minutes, and I knew right then Jason Eagles is the name. And God just put that on my heart. And God has had him there now for 11 years, and doing a great work, and the church is growing, and people are being saved. Oh, yeah, they had some rough times, and they, they had to cut their teeth a little bit, and they had some growing pains. I'm just saying this, we didn't take the decision lightly. It was something we had to pray about and plead with God about. And God showed us clearly his will. Let me ask you this. Who is taking your place? Who is filling your shoes? Oh, it's too soon to think about. No, it's not. 
Start investing in somebody. Start praying about some young people. Start getting around them. That's what Elijah did as he cast this mantle. And I want you to notice, secondly, Elijah's custom. And turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to move very quickly now. But turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. I want you to notice Elijah's custom. We, we move forward now in his life a little bit. And it's about the time that Elijah's going to be caught up in a whirlwind unto God. But look what he does. Elijah, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as I so liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha. And said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today. You, you, can't, you can't sneak up on a bunch of prophets. And so these prophets, the Bible calls them the sons of the prophets, meaning they were under prophets and they were learning. This was a school. So they went to Bethel and he came to the sons of the prophets and the prophets said, don't you know to Elisha that your master will be taken? He says, yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as thy Lord liveth and the soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, knowest not thou that the Lord will take thee away, thy master, from thy head today? And he answered, yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee hear, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on, and fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood by Jordan. I won't read anymore, but you understand the rest of the story. As those prophets watched, the whirlwind came and took Elijah away, and his mantle fell, and Elisha picked it up, and he parted the Jordan River having a double portion of God's blessing. But what did Elijah do before he was taken up into heaven? He went back and visited all the young people, the sons of the prophets, those that he had been investing in. He went to Bethel, and he went to Jordan, and he went to Jericho. And at each place, the sons of the prophets or the students came out, and they saw Elijah and finally 50 of them stood and watched as he was taken up into heaven. He said, why is that significant? Because that's where his heart was. Let me ask you, many of you have sat beside the bed of a dying person. Who is it that they want by their bedside when they die? Almost every obituary you'll read in the paper says, in the presence of their loved ones. Elijah went because those were his loved ones. Those are the ones he invested in. Those are the ones he wanted to see do a great work for God. That was his heart, that was his soul. So his casting of this mantle upon Elisha was well-founded because he had spent more time with these young people and these prophets and he knew that he had invested in them and God could use them. Friends, we must do more than just pray. Praying is asking God and hoping that someone else will do the investing. We must pray and then put feet to our prayers and invest in the lives of the next generation. We've talked about an Old Testament prophet. Let me direct you to a New Testament principle 
Turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll move quickly through these passages, but look at some scripture with me tonight. And you say, well, that's, a, that's an Old Testament principle. Oh, no, friends. You will find it in the new as well that we must invest in the next generation. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There's a perpetual cycle here. Timothy, I want you to take what you have learned and commit it to faithful men that they might go and commit it to faithful men and that they might go and commit it to faithful men and the cycle continues as we invest in the next generation. Over the years, there are a few that I can think of that would fit that bill. I remember Ray Doughty. Ray Doughty was still working around the school and vacuuming the hallways in his 80s. Being a blessing and always having time for the young people. We'd come out of a classroom and he'd stop and talk to you. And, and usually both he and the student would get in trouble for being out in the hallway. <laughs> They'd get in just as much trouble as we would. But he just invested. Invested in our lives. I remember the story, Brother Foreman. How he invested in your life. Brother Bill was a teenager and they, people were kind of giving him a hard time. And Brother Dowdy took a, a nickel, I believe it was, and he left it on the carpet. He said, Bill, go vacuum the auditorium at 154 Maple. And as he was vacuuming, Bill picked up the nickel and put it on the pew. And Mr. Dowdy says, he'll be all right. That's just how he loved people. Over a nickel. He just believed in them. Who are we investing in like that? Let me ask you, just, just do an inventory in your mind. When's, who's the last teenager you talked to in the church? A little college-age kid. How about these young men this age down here, Daniel, Bailey, guys that age, young people? We're, we're talking literally, Daniel, how old are you, Daniel? 27. 27. Daniel's old enough, he could step right in to be a deacon today. But who has mentored him? I was, I was saying to his parents last week, they, both their boys were up here playing, and I said, I, I said well, those, those are pretty good boys up there. And Lloyd said, so far. <laughs> He's keeping an eye on you. <laughs> Who's mentoring them? We need deacons. Who's coming alongside a Daniel or a Bailey and saying, hey, let me try and encourage you to be a godly man. Let's pray together. Let me, let me just pray with you so I can show you that I love you. Who's the last young man, if you're 60 or 70, who's the last 40-year-old you called and just said, hey, how you doing? Can I pray about anything in your family? I know we're busy. We get so busy, it's just a foreign concept sometimes. Paul said, Timothy, I need you to take what you've learned and I need you to put it in the next man and he's going to come and he's going to teach others also and we're just going to keep doing this down the line. Who are we investing in? Think about who mentored you. 
Think about who took the time to invest in your life. I remember when I was five years old and getting baptized. Dr. Strachan could see I was nervous. I was down at the old building as well, and he could see I was nervous. And he says, are you nervous? And I said, yeah. Just a little boy in front of the big church. And he said, oh, no. He says, I'm the one that's nervous. I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, you're nervous? He baptized lots of people. He says, yeah. He says, today's my 50th birthday. And he says, I feel like this is God's gift to me. And I don't want to mess it up. And he just calmed me right down. It's moments like that that really can change a life. When you think you're special to somebody. I can't get reminiscing or I'll get weeping. But so many took the time to invest in me. Mr. Wilson and I had a lot of good times up and down the road to the Bill Rice Ranch. and Just spent time talking with me. We need that. The next generation is dying. And our churches are dying. And churches are closing. We can't find pastors. And if we find a pastor, he's got nobody to teach a Sunday school class. And if we find a Sunday school teacher, there's not a deacon in sight. We need men. And we need women to step up. Look at another scripture. I'm going to go through these quickly. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Ladies, I haven't forgotten you. I'm like, oh, great. Titus chapter 2. Look what the Bible says. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. He said, oh, this is instructions to Titus. I don't believe Titus was ever a pastor. He had an itinerant ministry. He traveled from place to place and helped the churches get established and set up. He just went and and Paul says, Titus, just just go in and teach people. Instill some things. Teach the men to be grave, temperate, sound of faith, and charity and patience. Here's what you need to teach the women. Verse 3, that the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teacher of good things, that they may teach the young women. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The truth is, ladies, it's not my job to teach the young ladies these things, it's yours. That's what the Bible says. And we'll preach the whole counsel of God and we'll, we'll touch on these verses from the pulpit like we are right now. But ladies, it's your responsibility to teach the young women. Sometimes we shake our heads and say, well, these girls today, they don't know how to keep a home and they don't know how to raise a child. Whose fault is that? The Bible says it's the ages women's job to teach that. You've done it with your daughters. But let me say this, a lot of our young ladies that come to this church don't have a mom. 
that it takes the time to show them those things. Why can't we? So the aged women, they have a responsibility. Look at verse 6. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Are we exhorting the young men? We've already touched on that, but notice the verse. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another. How often? Daily. While it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The Bible says we're to exhort one another daily. We're to teach. We're to encourage. We're to help. We're to come alongside. Who are we exhorting? Who are we helping? I'm not talking about putting a meme on Facebook and hoping they see it. I'm talking about a personal touch. Exhort one another daily. I mentioned this morning about that social media and I had just been relying upon Twitter to hear updates on Joel McConkie and I realized I hadn't talked to John since June, three months. He's my friend and he has a boy with cancer and I hadn't talked to him in three months. So I contacted him. He called back today, by the way, and said just the service was such a blessing, the music, and he wanted to hear those songs of salvation, and in particular Donna's song, and there's strength in the name of the Lord, really blessed his heart. We don't get that through media. We get that through contact. Exhort one another daily. Exhort one another. What are the hindrances? Look at Hebrews chapter 5. What keeps us from behaving like we ought to and teaching others Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be understood, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Verse 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Bible says that perhaps we are not teaching others because we are not well versed in the word of God. We're still taking milk instead of meat. You remember that Paul said to Timothy that, take what I have taught you. Timothy, you're mature now. And teach others also. Have we taken the time to develop ourselves? Have we invested in, in doing discipleship? And say, somebody asked me about discipleship a while ago, but I, you know, I just, ah. why? There's no shame in learning the word of God. And it is growing us and maturing us and helping us and and, and listen, don't, don't, don't get away from church. Go to church more. Be in church all you can Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Get under the word of God. Say, well, you know, it's, a Bible study isn't exciting as preaching. And, uh, uh, listen, you need the word of God. 
If you're listening online tonight, let me say this. It's time to get back to church. It's time to assemble with God's people. You don't just need the word of God. You need fellowship and exhortation. You need the moving of the spirit of God corporally in a church service to bless your heart. I can go home tonight and I could watch this service and I could enjoy the ensemble singing or what have you or Tony's song or uh, Gerald's song. It's just not the same as being here in the place and letting the spirit of God move. It's time to get back to church. I understand if you have a health issue, I get that. But if you just have an excuse, we, we need to stop forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You need to be here. You can't, you can't exhort these young people through a TV screen. You can't follow the scriptures and teach other. I, I listen, you say, well, I, I, I don't know what I would teach them. Teach them that they could be men and women of God. Let them see you go to an altar once in a while. Let them see you weep for souls. Take them out door knocking with you. But we have to invest. And the Bible says, you should be teachers, but you're still on the milk. You yourselves, oh, subject yourself. Surrender yourself to the teaching of God's word that you might be able to help others. Because you help them grow and bring them along a little bit. I think one of the greatest, one of the greatest joys in ministry is having Cody on staff here. I'm not saying I don't love everybody else. I'm just saying that's a guy that got saved when I was preaching. And we saw him come along, we saw his mom weep over his soul. We had ladies praying with her. We saw him saved. We saw him get in discipleship. We saw him go off to Bible college. We went to Africa with me and got to preach. I think probably your first sermon was in Africa, was it? With a little lantern down in the jungle. It was just, what a blessing to see him get up there and preach. That's one of my greatest joys in ministry. You only know that if you can invest. And I'm, I'm not saying I did much for him. But I'm saying when you invest, one day you can look back and say, man, I'm so glad I took an interest in that kid. That I invested in that young man. That I went to that young father and tried to help him along. Maybe you get to talk somebody out of a divorce. Maybe you pray with somebody at just the right moment that would change their life forever and the trajectory they're on. But you have to get out of your comfort zone and say, I got to invest in somebody else. Elijah took his mantle and he cast it upon another. It was a spiritual decision. God told him how to do it and who to do it to. And so we must make the same spiritual decisions. We ought to pray and invest and plead with God for the next generation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. And Daniel's going to come to the piano. If God has spoke to your heart, the altar is open even now. I don't need to belabor the invitation. You heard the message. You know my heart tonight. But more importantly, you know what the Spirit is saying. Is he speaking to your heart? You know, something that I never, ever forgot 
was years ago, there was a baseball game at the Toronto Blue Jays, 1983. And my dad couldn't get off work to go with us on the church trip. So Tony Baker and Rob Ternowski took my brother and I. I've never forgot that. Just that little investment in our lives. Who's taking your spot? I'm not saying you have to give it up today. I'm not trying to retire you. But who are you praying for? Who would come alongside and help in your ministry for the next five, ten years until they're ready? Who are you seeking?